Hello and welcome to this episode of That One Time I Dated a Mormon, or this week's episode I should say. I hope that you are well. Um, I think this time next week it will be Christmas Eve. It's not Christmas Day, is it? It's the Sunday, Christmas Eve, so um, not long until the fat man arrives. Um, I wanted to start off this week's episode with a story that I just thought was hilarious. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, It was on the news today, I think, or late last night, about um, three camels that had escaped a nativity scene in the Australian city of Brisbane. And they have been, according to the BBC, now safely returned to their owner. And the article says, The animals escaped by opening the gate of their pen at the Bridgman Baptist Community Church. So they opened their own gate, clever camels. Um, But this was the line that really got me, um, just thought it was so funny. The trio was later caught after they stopped to eat some grass. Um, So they couldn't even be asked to walk very far to try and escape the little nativity they were in. They obviously got a little bit peckish and just thought, "Mm, we'll have a little snack. Um, Just very funny. (laughs) And then the church, the Baptist Community Church, when they had been returned back, they put on their Facebook page, "Um, don't worry, our camels got a bit lost on their way to Bethlehem. and then there'd been some other tweets and things about it. And one of them said that free roaming Christmas carols have caused commuter chaos in Brisbane this morning, <laughs> seen strolling into oncoming traffic after escaping the enclosure. Um, I just thought that was very funny. Uh, what else this week? The Golden Globe nominations were announced and um, some, you know, usual predictable ones. So, for example, um, not that they're undeserving, but people like Kate Blanchett was nominated for her film Tar. Um, and I think it was The Banshees of Inner and did very well with Colin Farrell. I've not seen it yet. Um, I went to see She Said last weekend, um, the story, or the film rather, based around the Harvey Weinstein investigation and scandal that was broken by the New York Times, um, Jodie Cantor and Megan Toohey, and that was very, very good. I think you benefit from having knowledge of the situation first, um, and maybe having read around the situation in particular. I mean, I've done lots of reason and watching and work into that, or, you know, invest, no, not investigation, I'm not investigating, am I? Um, Reading around the topic, I'll say. See, I tell you, I never prepare these things in advance. That's why they're so shit. Um, anyway, very good. Carrie Mulligan was nominated for that. Um, and what was really good about that was the complete lack of presence of Weinstein. Um, and I think that was a really good creative decision. You only ever hear his voice briefly on the phone and then you see his back. You don't see his face in full on or anything like that. And I think that's important because it's, it's really a story that's not sounds strange but not about him it's about the women who are strong enough to come forward and by not having his presence on screen I think is more powerful than having him there but anyway that's just my opinion um the um one that I think a lot of fans were happy about was Jenna Ortega nominated for Wednesday a lot of Scream fans are happy about that obviously she's part of the Scream franchise now I'll be getting onto that in the second part of the episode later very exciting um and I think if she wins she'll be the youngest actress to win in her category I don't think she's the youngest actress to have ever won a Golden Globe I believe Anna Paquin won for the piano when she was like an embryo um 
but um, Wednesday nominated as well like that. And then one that did surprise me was that Dead to Me got absolutely nothing. Nothing for comedy and then nothing for Christina Applegate or Linda Cardellini. Um, Linda Cardellini, really good in the last series. I won't tell you anything that happens in case you've not watched it yet, but really good. And then Christina Applegate, um, she's a favourite. She's been nominated before, nominated for Emmys for the performance. And I just thought that she would get uh, at least a nomination this year um, as well, just for the recognition of her working through her MS diagnosis. And that's not a reason to nominate somebody, but I think it would have been um, just quite a, a sensitive thing to do just to nominate her for what might very well be her last performance. Even she said she thinks it'll be the last thing that she's able to film. But anyway, um, now uh, I spent some of the episode last week looking at the Harry and Meghan documentary and the next three episodes have just been released this week. I've watched the first two. I've got the last one to watch. And as I said last week, um, I think it's really good. Uh, obviously, there are things in there that people will criticise and complain and scrutinise and question. Um, fine. And obviously, it's been presented in a way to make them look a certain way and everyone else look a certain way. But I'm, I mean it in terms of just how it's made. It's very calm. It's very sensitive. It's not slanderous openly about anyone or anything. It's just almost... Yes, it's emotional and emotive, but it's also factual. And it shows you excerpts from letters and newsreels and um, Twitter feeds and Facebook accounts. And, um, you know, you get the impression that everything that they're saying is, well, true. I mean, I do believe um, what it is that they feel that they've been through. Um, and... It really paints a picture, particularly in these next set of episodes, of just how gendered and sexist and ultimately racist the British media is. Um, and that that's not always just because of the men in, in the positions. Women are just as capable of being sexist as well. Um, and I think we forget that sometimes. Um, you know, things that were in the episodes that I've watched this week, for example... Just how, and I've mentioned this before, different stories are pitted against um, Meghan and Kate. Whether the press actually think that Meghan's in the wrong or they just want to create an argument between two women, like a playground fight, I think that's part of it as well. So things like how, you know, ones you'll have heard of before, but they reference them in the documentary, how... Um, Kate is praised for using an avocado that's you know, healthy and all the rest of it and organic, whereas um, Megan's is linked to something more salacious and illegal. Um, the cookbook and the charity group and the Grenfell um, Tower group that Megan works with, which she kept secret for months, she didn't publicise at all, um, was linked to an ISIS cell. Why? Just because the people who Megan was working with were ethnic and foreign. That means they're ISIS. Um, how when Kate holds her baby bump, it's motherly. When Megan does it, she's showing off that she's a mum. Um, and that she just couldn't win, really. And then, you know, a lot of the more racial elements of the press, how it was constantly um, in some publications talking about, you know, her coming from the wrong side of the tracks and members of her family being involved in drug gangs and gun um, shootouts and, um, you know, loving the fact that she'd been divorced and she was an actress that meant that she couldn't ever be believed. Um, and I think, for me, the one thing that's really 
useful about the documentary is how um, things that even I saw at the time and thought, mm, she's a bit annoying, um, you see from a completely different point of view. And as I've said before, I've always been a fan of Megan. Um, I've always liked her. I've always liked her from the point of view of something that she was bringing that was new to these, you know, to that establishment. But I remember at the time when the footage came out of the interview when she said that no one really asked if I'm okay, even I thought at that moment, oh, come on, like, how bad can it be? Um, and even I kind of fell into that trap for that for that moment. But then watching that back with her this time round, like with her as if she was around my house, with her commenting on it, you can see how in the context of where she was, clearly suffering from postnatal depression, clearly coming through um, a previous um, suicide attempt or suicide ideologies, on a tour, um, on something ridiculous, like a 52-stop tour, just having become a new mum, you can see in her eyes, she's fucking knackered and tired um, and probably lonely. And in an interview, you know, it was one part of the whole documentary um, that they were being followed around. She was just probably a bit more open than maybe naively she should have been. Um, and you can see she's completely on the verge of tears the whole way through and people have said you know that oh she's an actress she can't trust da, 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 da. um i don't think she's a sociopath which is what you'd have to be if you were acting to that degree on a global scale like that as part of the royal family um but thinking about the particularly the presentation of megan and how um, the documentaries looked at it this week it's made me think about the broader picture of how women are presented in the media um you know even watching the film she said last week it was so difficult for the women to be believed and want to speak up in the first place because they knew they would just be ignored they knew anything they said would just be poo-pooed because it's yet another woman moaning it's another woman accusing a man um, and when men run everything, the women have no one that they can really turn to. But what's interesting about that case, and I've spoken about it before, is Rose McGowan, who was one of the kind of initial whistleblowers around the Weinstein situation. She herself has said that it was women were just as bad as the men, that women were protecting Weinstein as well for their own self-worth, their own interest, their own um, career progression. And that's something that's really um, quite difficult to to stomach at points that a woman would do that to another woman. Um, and it made me think that how women are presented in the media just day by day. Um, you know, there have been women that have been cannon fodder to the press for years. Um, I've mentioned them even just last week, I think. Cheryl Cole, Jamila Jamil, um, uh, AOC over in America, um, Meghan Markle, obviously, even Kate, um, to an extent, when at one point, you know, she's the more down-to-earth, lovely, less deaverish one than Meghan, then on the other side, she can be frumpy and old and boring and, like, matronly. So what I did, and this, I'm going to call this research, and actually it was just an, it was just an excuse for me to read some tat for an hour, um, I looked across a couple of magazines and I've got them in front of me. I'm not going to name any of them because I don't want to be sued. Um, but just to have a look at the different stories and just how page after page after page women are presented in these magazines. And it might on the front of it seem positive, but there's always a more negative slant to it. 
So one of them um, talks about a Christmas showdown where it looks at Meghan and Kate being sister-in-laws in a bitter feud and says that the feud is escalating. Now, it's as if they've not paid attention to the entire Meghan and Harry documentary and they are um, almost like comically continuing to propel this story, which Meghan and Harry have themselves said the media create themselves by creating this argument between the two of them. And this magazine does it on the very first page. Um, and then, you know, going through the different magazines, and it's all about Harry and Meghan this week, as you can imagine. You know, it says that between Harry and, and Meghan and Kate and William, who were once called the Fab Four, this is now the final straw. They're never going to be able to get back together. And the the pictures they choose are really interesting. So it's got photos of William and Kate looking very serious, whereas Meghan and Harry are on some of the pictures look to be um, like laughing and having fun, as if they're not bothered about what it is that they've done to the family. Um, and the quotations they pull out as captions around the page as well. And they still expect to keep their titles. And um, Kate is tempted to call Megan out. So it's all very negative. It's all very um, hyperbolic. Um, and, you know, things that it mentions in, in the article about the documentary, are again, all the negative sides of it, um, where it talks about Kate and Megan being kind of their meetings together being jarring that there are brutal swipes between the two women um that kate has been bitterly quote disappointed um, with everything that's happened it constantly talks about the money that harry and megan have been given for these documentaries and everything um whereas you know if you actually watch the documentary and you see what happened is that they did want to leave. They did want to um, get their own jobs. I mean, obviously they're not going to bloody work in Tesco, are they? But they're trying to become independent. And they, they quite clearly say that was what they wanted to do, but they weren't allowed to. And when you watch it, you see how... Um, the they were forced to release a statement because it was going to be broken against them in a different way by the press of the palace. And but all that's happened is that Megan has been the one to be shown to be like the devil woman who split the family apart. And that's the essential story, isn't it? That she's the bitch, she's the American whore who came in to steal Harry away um, from his white a privileged family how dare she that's essentially the story that's just been peddled day after day after day um and you know what's really i think sad is that in the documentary last that i watched last night episode five she talks about how the media for them it's a story it gets clickbait it sells a story it sells a paper but she ends up with a death threat at the end of it and then these magazines here um are still running these stories about how she's this horrendous person and aren't listening to what, what she's trying to say, you know, that you write this story about me being this horrible person and I get a death threat because someone believes it. Um, other stories in the news um, and in the magazines this week, again, that just kind of try to be positive but there's always like a slagging off element behind it so there are stories about um victoria beckham and posh taking her daughter to paris for a girl's trip but then it's skewed and is essentially just talking about how much money they're going to spend and how 
um, the girl is now far too much into clothing and it shows Victoria and the daughter out shopping, whereas the dad, um, David Beckham and his lads are at a football match, which is obviously far more um, you know, worthwhile to be into sport than shopping. Um, it just has pound signs across the entire article, so it's essentially saying that Victoria and her daughter are shallow. Because one week she's a bad mum because she wants to try and put her into, um, you know, fashion shows or whatever. And she's making her wear really revealing things. And then the other week she's a bad mum because she's spending time with her on holiday. So she can't. And then another week she's a bad mother-in-law because she hates Brooklyn's wife, supposedly. Anyway, then um, another magazine and everyone... You know, all these papers have slagged Cheryl Cole off at some point. And so Cheryl Cole is going to be in a new West End show um, called 222 A Ghost Story. And there's been various actresses play the part. It seems to be quite like a, a thing of the show. They have different actors come in and take the roles every couple of months. I think Lily Allen's been in one. And um, again, on the front of it, you'd think it's a positive article because it says that she's um, set to take the West End by storm. But then throughout it, there's little drips of negativity. She's not been seen in the public since 2017. She's not released a song since 2019. She's tried her hand at um, TV before, um, but kind of purposely mentions things that weren't very good, like ghost hunting with girls allowed, um, which says that she ran out of the house screaming. So it's taken the piss out of her acting. It then finishes by saying, surely an Olivier Award is in her sights. Um, and um, it says that she hasn't been seen on TV since her stint on The Greatest Dancer. So again, it looks like it's been positive about her career, but it's full of little negative swipes, all these microaggressions. Um, you know, that women constantly get on um, in the media. There's never any positive, just, just a positive article about a woman. Whoever the writer is has to get a little dig in somewhere. And then Jennifer Aniston as well. Obviously, she came out a couple of weeks ago talking about her struggle with IVF, which was brilliant for her to talk about. And then in this article here, because she's always been like a sad loner, hasn't she? A sad woman who won't talk at all, can't have kids or whatever, even though she's come out now and completely set the record straight. And here there's an article about how Jen is ready to jingle. Obviously, a plan mingle because it's Christmas. She's on the naughty list this year. Um, that she's um, been flirting with John Hamm, who's in her new television show, The Morning Show. Um, and that basically, rather than just say that she's maybe looking for a boyfriend, wants some company over the festive period, you know, she's looking for someone that she can you know, settle down with whatever. No, again, they've got to sexualise the whole thing because it's a woman and it's ready to jingle. She's on the naughty list. Um, you know, and this is a 51-year-old woman. That's not going to be what she's doing at all. And even if it was, then fine. Um, you know, and that's just a couple of examples of a couple of women in this one week of news of how stories just constantly show women in a negative light but it goes broader than that because if you're you are you know a, a an impressionable teenage girl a younger woman and you just constantly see these barrage of women against women of women being criticized for getting that job role for dating that person 
for speaking up against that businessman, for speaking up against that particular, you know, industry, then all you're ever fed as a young woman is that you should shut the fuck up. Because if you don't, then you are either blatantly slagged off in the media or over social media, or it's very insidiously done in an article that on the face of it looks nice. Um, You know, I've mentioned before, you think back to earlier on in the year, the entire law... Um, court and legal proceedings between Amber Heard and Johnny Depp whatever it was that they had done to each other whatever it was that he had done to her she had done to him which was what the situation was really about was completely reduced to two women fucking hating each other supposedly on the on the stand came Camille Vasquez and Amber Heard it was all about what a dickhead Amber Heard looked because Camille Vasquez was so good and Camille Vasquez was so perfect and she was a phenomenal lawyer I mean watching the footage of it it's it's artistic what she manages to do but that's what the the situation became it was how she was lauded not that she shouldn't have been, she's very good at her job, but that how then it became a battle between two women and it completely missed the point that it was about a marriage completely disintegrating. Um, and what could have been quite a pivotal moment in terms of looking at, um, you know, marital conflict and domestic abuse and domestic abuse towards a man and domestic abuse towards a woman and how we defend ourselves in those situations and how social media can be a real plague in a relationship. It completely became about destroying one woman at the hands of another woman. Um, and unfortunately, it just, the, the appetite that created and the interest and the intrigue that created at the downfall of that woman, it just added another layer of power to that media machine, unfortunately. Um, if you haven't watched the Harry and Meggie doc, Meggie, <laughs> Harry and Meghan, or H&M, as they call themselves, not the shop, um... I would suggest that you do. It is really interesting, even if you're not interested, even if you're not a royalist. I mean, I'm not. Um, but it is fascinating from a historical point of view. They contextualise everything. They look back at Diana. They look back at the Queen as a very young monarch um, and the role of the media and really how a lot of what we are fed is completely manipulated. And if you are the cannon fodder of that, like Meghan has been, you just don't stand a chance. And the reason that the media have been so negative towards Megan is because she decided to say, no, this is a lie. Um, so on the other side of the episode, um, something a little bit more fun, the new Scream 6 film trailer has been released. So if you're not a fan of Scream, then you definitely should be. Um, and, you know, you need to get this into your life. Um, so you might want to sign off now. Take it easy. 
and that's how it all started. Now, if you um, are not a fan of screen, then you might want to bob out at this section of the episode because it's all I'm going to talk about for the next 20 odd minutes. Um, so it's very exciting this week for people who are screen fans. And if you're not a screen fan, then shame on you. Um, the, the new trailer or teaser trailer for the new screen film was released. Now, a little bit of background. So the first Scream film you heard there came out in 1996 with Drew Barrymore as the opening. Huge shock when she died because she was the big name of the film. She was on all the posters. She was using all of the advertisement um, and and was dead in the first 12 minutes. Then Scream 2 came a year later um, and it had attracted... Obviously, the stars from the original, so Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox. Um, And then it was known for having big names in smaller roles because it was almost like a thing of the franchise that a big name would be almost like a a cameo death um, and would be shocking in that respect. So Sarah Shogella was in it at the height of her Buffy fame or the start of, you know, her kind of global... um, fame, I suppose, for want of a better word. I was going to say infamy, but that's wrong, isn't it? Her global stardom. Um, and then um, so Scream 3 came out in 2000, and that was um, intended to be the end of the trilogy. Scream 4 came along in 2011, and I really like Scream 4. I think that it gets a lot of piss taken out of it for no reason. Um, it was very forward-thinking in terms of internet fame um, and the use of internet footage. I really like it. And then that didn't do particularly well, though, um, for a number of reasons. I think calling it Scream 4 meant people who hadn't grown up with the Scream franchise just weren't interested in the fourth um, part of a franchise that they didn't know necessarily. Um, and the Weinsteins were just bastards behind the scenes as well. Anyway, so 2022, Scream comes out. It was a COVID film, so it was made during the pandemic. Um, and it was really exciting to kind of read about and get excited about during um, the end of um, pandemic and COVID and um, Omicron. It was something to look forward to going to see. I went to see it, obviously, opening weekend. Sorry, twice, because I'm sad um, on my own, because I didn't want anyone around me to breathe. Um, and... Um, just so exciting and obviously Scream 6 was announced very soon after because Scream 5, 5 Cream, Scream 2022 was just so popular and in the build up to it obviously there was lots of excitement about the whole cast coming back and as you can see in the trailer that we'll look at in a moment so we've got Jenna Ortega who's huge at the moment with Wednesday, Melissa Barrera, um, Jasmine, Jas- I can't speak because I'm so excited, Jasmine Savoy-Brown off Yellow Jackets, Mason Gooding, um, Samara Weaving, who's worked with the directors before and Ready or Not. We've got Courtney Cox coming back, Hayden Panettiere, who didn't die in Scream 4, as was a little bit of a fan, a fan theory that was confirmed in Scream 5. Um, but a lot of the um, controversy and discussion has been around Nev Campbell, who isn't back in the sixth film because of a pay dispute that she wasn't paid enough, she felt, for the franchise. And essentially she said, and good on her, that if she was the leading man of a franchise, they would pay her anything to come back, whether it was just for a 10-minute cameo or not. But as a leading woman of a franchise, she's not paid enough, so she's not coming back. And I understand that. Um I think that it was a little bit of a shockwave that it happened. Um, I think it's a shame because obviously you'd like to think maybe there's a little bit of um, just maybe something she feels she owes the fans that she'd come back and do it for them regardless of the pay. Um, but also, you know, as a feminist, I support her as well. I'm just disappointed if that makes sense. 
But the interesting thing is that watching the trailer and the advert, I didn't actually think about Nev Campbell's involvement or Sidney Prescott once. Um, and I think that's down to the new cast who was so good in the fifth film that you are interested in seeing where they're up to in the sixth film and you're invested in them and you're maybe not too hung up on the fact that Sydney won't be in it because the storyline will always be there because of her. So I'm sure she'll be referenced, she'll be mentioned. Um, there's lots of rumours swirling around that she that actually something has been signed and she'll appear right at the end in order to then lead into the seventh and final film. Um, but because obviously Courtney Cox is there as one of the main legacy characters, Hayden's back as Kirby Reed. I think a lot of people's concerns are kind of put at bay. Um, and because the look of it and the feel of it and the trailer for it is so fresh and exciting and new, everyone's just really excited. Um, and again, if you haven't, if you're not in on the Scream franchise, then you really should be. And I'll get into the reasons why a little bit later. So I'm just going to play it for you. Now, a little bit of a spoiler. There's one word of dialogue in the entire advert. So you are just going to be hearing some music and noise. Tough, because you should have watched it anyway. And then um, uh, I'll go back through and, and talk it through a little bit. As I've said, if you're not a fan of Scream and you're not a Scream geek like I am, then turn off now because you're not going to be interested in the next 20 minutes at all. Now, if you've not seen that, it will have made no sense to you whatsoever. So go and watch it now. Um, but basically, the uh, characters have all now moved to New York. And it's taking place on a subway train, this scene is anyway. And it's a Halloween party, so people are dressed up in all sorts of different costumes. And some of them are ghost face. And then the guys obviously get the feeling that one of them isn't just somebody in a costume. And is something a little bit more um, dangerous and insidious. And then grabs one of the characters at the end of the scene. Now, um, the title for the film is Scream 6, but the M has been turned into a V and an I for Roman numeral 6, which is exciting. And that's shown at the very end of the advert as well. So I'm going to just play the advert through and then stop and start and talk about it um, and give you some of my ideas and thoughts and just, yeah, have a bit of fun with it. So it starts off with an overview of New York, uh, the skyline. Now, my kind of English literary brain that dissects everything, like a lot of the podcasts about Scream that I listen to that I'm going to mention later because there are loads better podcasts than mine out there. This is a dumpster fire compared to the ones that I listen to, so I'm going to mention those later. But um, the section of New York that they skim over, like from a bird's eye view, 
comes down into a point in the middle and to me that looks a little bit like the bottom of the ghost face mask like the mouth of it almost that's just me um, and then it continues to show people going to Halloween parties and there's loads of little Easter eggs here for people who know. So, for example, um, there is one girl who is wearing a yellow top with blood come out, out of her neck um, down to the right, I believe it is. And that's from a character from in the Scream in franchise of Stab, which is Stab 6. Um, a character looks like that and dies in a similar way. And um, also in the background, there is a girl who's dressed as the character from Ready or Not, who is Samara Weaving, um, who's in Scream 6. So there's a little bit of like a meta thing there going on with a character dressed as a character in a film, in a film, played by an actress in a film. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. Um, it then has a little tagline that says, in a city of millions, no one can hear you scream. So basically, this attack could potentially happen in front of onlookers who think it's just a Halloween prank and don't realise that someone's actually being murdered in front of them. And um, that, I'll come back to that later, actually. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm too excited. And then we're shown um, a train going past and um, there's a sign that just says late nights take two to Franklin Avenue for four. Um, and I'm just, in, it just says late nights. So horror Halloween takes place at nighttime, I suppose. And then we have lots of other little costumes as well. So we have a guy dressed up as the Babadook in the background and that is um, Jennifer Ortega. Tara's favourite horror film, which is mentioned in the last film. We also have four of the characters shown. So Jenna or Tara, we have um, Mason Gooding as Chad and Melissa Barrera as... Um, oh my God, how can I forget her name? Sam, Jesus, Sam. And then we have a new character. I can't remember his name, but Josh Shigera plays him. And it looks like, I can't tell if maybe they don't know each other as a foursome yet, or there's a bit of beef between the Josh Shigera character and Chad, because they seem to look at each other. Maybe they've fallen out at a party, maybe they've bumped into each other. I don't know, but there's something going on between them. And then looking around, they see all the characters as well in costume. So there's a werewolf, there's a pinhead from Hellraiser, there's a Friday the 13th, there's a Friday the 13th with Jason, there's a ghost face there, um, and the Ready or Not girls there again as well. And then very briefly, we see, and this shows how sad and detailed, like, I am watching these adverts and reading up on everyone else. Um, Kirby Reed, who is meant to, who is in the sixth film, she's not included in the advert at all, but a photograph was released of her and she's wearing a, a jacket with lots of like metal pins in it and you just see her shoulder next to the General Ortega character so that's almost like a little hint that she's there without fully showing her And then Melissa Barrera's character, Sam, sees obviously a ghost face. We think at the moment that um, appears to be not just a party. It flicks to Jasmine Savoy's Brown's character of Mindy. Um, and there's a character dressed up as Ben Willis, the fisherman from I know he did last summer in the background. But here is where some people think that the footage of the four friends and then of Jasmine Sav Savoy Brown's character are actually different scenes. And in the film, they're making us think that this is all in the same scene, but it's going to trick us and it's not actually at all. And they're not in the same section together at all. 
and we see a little ghost face checking them out with another little Easter egg of um, the girl from The Grudge in the background. And then we have one ghost face just looking at us, the camera, us, the audience, the victims, whoever it is they're looking at as well, whether it is the Mindy character or the other four. And then Mindy's just waiting for something in darkness. Before an attack. Um, and then it plays out with Scream 6 at the end. The um, the ghost face mask as well that appears right at the end is broken and cracked and looks a little bit decrepit as if it is maybe an old ghost face mask that's been found and is being used by a new killer. Um, and a number of people have thought that maybe the new killer might be related to a previous killer or a previous victim and is out for revenge. There were some rumours going around that the Samara Weaving character um, had a surname linked to a character from Scream 4, Olivia's character, um, or that maybe some of them were Mackenzie's linking to Liv's character from Scream 5. So maybe they're out for revenge on the friends who survived and didn't die using a mask that's been found or something we don't know. Um, and some people have said, which is a fan theory that's been around for ages, apologies, I'm just going to have a bite of my pear, because I'm talking so much and so excited, I'm running out of um, liquid in my mouth. It's a phrase I never thought I'd say. Um, that a character called Stu Macker, who died in Scream 1 nearly 30 years ago, is back. And that essentially he's been alive the whole time. Now that was a theory because in Scream 3, he was meant to have been orchestrating a cult of ghost face killers to do all the killings for him. But because of various things at the time, there was a lot of scrutiny on violence in the media because of Columbine. That was scrapped. Um, but people are still hung on to the idea that he's alive. And people think that this really old mask shows that he's come back and is going to kill everybody off. Utter bollocks. He's not going to have come back because if he was alive and in prison all this time, do you not think that the three main survivors of the first film, Sidney, Gale, Dewey, would have at some point had to go on trial and give evidence against him or would discuss the fact that their friend who nearly killed them all, or Sydney's friend, and killed her best friend in a garage, um, is alive and in jail. I think they would have mentioned it at least once by now. Um, and Zach Cherry, um, who um, I follow on Instagram and um, I listen to his podcast and on Twitter, really hates this discussion. And so he said, um, this was just the other day, Okay, I'll weigh in. Even if Stu was alive and returning, it wouldn't be safe for the first chapter in which Sydney is absent. The only purpose of having him to return is for that emotional wallop that would come from their shared history. No one else in the cast knows him. And that's true. It wouldn't make sense for him to appear to the other guys in Scream 6 because none of them know who he is. Courtney, Cox's character, Gail, I, I don't even think they had a scene together. They might have had a brief one in Scream 1, but again, it wouldn't have the emotional impact. It would only happen matter if Sydney was there. Um, and then right at the end of the advert, when um, Mindy is being attacked, now um, some people think that, and I agree actually, that this is two different scenes. I don't think she's in the same scene as the other characters on the train. Whether they're going to meet each other 
Some people have suggested even if this is maybe a little bit of PTSD and this is like a flashback or a bit of trauma and maybe a nightmare that she's having about being trapped and isolated with Ghostface in a public space. But when she's grabbed by him, very dramatically, just there, um, you can see, and I think it's right, a really brief splatter of blood as if she's been stabbed through the, like, through the chest or something behind her. Um... But yeah, anyway, very, very exciting and interesting, the whole thing. Can't wait for it. Now, um, a couple of things that um, I would like to see in Scream 6, if you're interested, you might just want me to shut the fuck up about it by now. But if that's the case, then you shouldn't be listening anyway. Um, I want just a bloody goddamn chase scene, just a chase scene. Um, if you think back into Scream 1, with the chase of Casey Becker around the house and Sydney's epic chase that went on for ages through the house outside um, around the um, the woods of the house, back into the house, into the uh, into the car beforehand, um, lasted ages. And then screen two, you had um, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Cece Cooper around the house. That The build-up to that was intense. Um, Gail's chase in screen two and into the sound booth. And then there's been kind of little ones here and there. Um, Sydney's chase kind of in Scream 3 and um, a little bit of a chase at the opening of Scream 4 and a little bit of a chase with um, Chad in Scream 5, but nothing on the epic scale of the first two. And I just want a lengthy chase run. Hide behind a door, get up and run. Jump through this, get through that. Always oh, nearly got you. You think you're getting away. I just want a lengthy chase and hopefully they've listened to that. Because Jenna Ortega's come out recently and said that is going to harken back to Scream 2 and some of those aspects. Um, I, um, I liked that in the fifth film, there was the fake out that the opening kill wasn't and they survived. I want an opening kill again this time. Um, and if it's a public one, like in Scream 2, so in Scream 2, a, the very public murder, when people are watching the film version of Scream called Stab and someone's murdered in the audience and everyone thinks it's a publicity stunt, um, something like that, like on a trip, like on a subway train in New York, people don't realise a murder's taking place because they think it's part of a Halloween costume. That could be quite fun. Um, and... Um, I want phone calls. I want lots of phone calls because there was none in the advert and it's the first time a Scream trailer has been released without a phone call, without you hearing Ghostface. And I want um, different characters to get them. You know, the really iconic line has always been, hello, Sydney. But obviously not going to get that this time. But um, it would be good for Gail to have one. She's had a brief one in Scream 2, but nothing else since, even though the phone wasn't meant for her in Scream 2. Um, which is why, sad fact, which is um, her big... A moment of change comes in Scream 2 because the phone call, um, so the phone call was meant to be for her, but Randy takes it off her and he's then pulled away from the gang and murdered on the phone and it was meant to be for her and I think that's why she then becomes a little more, more human from Scream 2 onwards. Anyway, you really need to watch these films. They're amazing. It's like character studies. Where was I? Yes, girl phone call. And then as sad as it sounds... We've never had a funeral. In any of the films, there's never been a funeral for all of the characters that have died. And um, and I think that 
you know, maybe a criticism of the franchise is that characters die and then they're never really mentioned again. They're seen in the body bag or in a photograph or there. Some of the key characters are referenced briefly. But we never see the aftermath of the death in that way. We never see a funeral or a wake or the um, reaction of a parent, really, um, in like the aftermath of the death, not the immediate death, like Casey Becker's mum. And I just think, you know, the end of Scream 5 happens within the same day of Dewey's death in Scream 5. And I just think that, you know, a way of opening the film there could be a little time jump it might even be Kirby's reason to come back into the film would be for Dewey's um funeral um I don't know it's just something I've thought about we've never had a funeral and I think that would be quite just a different thing to see in a screen film perhaps to have a funeral there um and then um obviously I just want it to be jumpy, scary. I'm glad that all the main cast are back. Um, in terms of some predictions, and I was listening to a podcast last night about their predictions as well, and I'll mention that in a moment. Um, I think that a lot of the newbies will die, um, but I think some of the main cast will probably make it until the final chapter. And I think well, there will be a seventh and final film of this little trilogy. So the screen one, two, three, four is a little stopgap, and then five six seven as the second trilogy um at most i think one of the two twins the two the two twins how many do you have um chad or mindy i think it's probably going to be mindy that dies i think she'd be the bigger emotional impact for me because i like mindy um possibly sam will go um, to save Tara. I don't think they'll get rid of Tara, mainly because of her popularity as an actress at the moment. For them to kill off Jenna Ortega, I don't think they'd do it. Um, Gail can't die. I think the fans would f- go fucking mental. Um, and I hope that um, there is a really brief moment with Sydney right at the end, just to kind of leg us over into leg us over, bridge us over, tie us over lead us into Scream 7. I'd love that to happen. Um, now, if you are a, a Scream fan, you're probably going to be aware of the other Scream podcasts that are out there. Not that this is a Scream podcast, but I'm just talking about it a lot today. Um, so I would definitely go and look at, even if you're just a fan of horror. So number one is um, Scream with Ryan C. Showers. Um, and he's on um, Instagram, Twitter, on Spotify, I found and fell in love with this podcast about 18 months ago. It's amazing. It's such a nice community that he's created with people talking about everything they love about the characters and how much they're a part of their lives. So Scream with um, RCS, Ryan C. Showers. The Horror Stands is another podcast. And again, on Instagram, you can find them where they just look at horror films every week. Some of the films they talk about, they take really seriously. Some of them they have a laugh and take the piss out of, which is very funny. There's no other podcast I've listened to where they can talk about Lindsay Lohan's music career whilst reviewing Halloween from 1970, um, which is just great. Then Scream Along, which is a podcast I've just come across, which again, kind of does what it says on the tin, just talks about Scream, um, different one of the films every week. They've looked at the new trailer. So Scream Along I would look at as well. 
um, a brilliant book which I read over a year ago, which I think I've mentioned, called It All Began With The Scream, um, which looks at the history of the Scream films, one, two, three, four, and was looking forward to five. That's a really good book and you can follow that on Instagram as well. And then Zach Cherry, I've mentioned too, um, who is under the handle of Retro Bitch Face on Instagram. And he does a, a Spotify podcast. I'm sure you can listen to other places as well. I just listen to it on Spotify podcast as well. Um, so I definitely listen to all of those. It's a great little community to be part of, whether it's Instagram, podcast or Twitter, just to speak to people that you know, you, you don't physically, geographically know, but that you have the same interests in, you can message each other, get excited about things, and it's great. And I've really loved being able to be part of that little group of people and to find, you know, that um, if you're just feeling a bit naff and you just want a bit of a cheer up, you've had a bad day or whatever, you can go and just listen to these voices that you get to know and feel like friends at the end of the day because you hear them every week in your in your house. Um, and it's great. It's such a nice thing to be part of. And their podcasts are way better than mine. Like they're actually scripted and planned. They don't just like turn up on an exercise bike and talk about Meghan Markle for a bit. Um, but anyway, if you aren't part of the Scream community, get on it. If you haven't seen them yet, get on it. And if you are, then I hope you're as excited for Scream 6 as I am. I've watched that teaser trailer approximately 74 times. I'll watch it again in a minute. Um, if you have any questions or thoughts about anything from today's episode, Scream included, then please let me know at onetimepodcast at yahoo.com. And I will see you very soon. <laughs>